0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Real Stuff with me, Hunter Johnson. We live in an interesting time for masculinity. It's an inflection point, we might say. The script we've inherited from our fathers and grandfathers is being questioned. Whether it's the increasing rates of mental illness, loneliness, education dropout rates, incarceration rates, or domestic violence, it's clear something needs to change. So we have to ask ourselves, are the models of masculinity we've inherited working for us? Who do we look to for role modeling and inspiration? What does modern masculinity actually look like? And how do we embody this without losing our favorite masculine traits? The Real Stuff Podcast creates a space for these messy and imperfect conversations to explore modern masculinity and so much more. I hope you have a laugh, shed a tear, and learn something as we explore these edgy yet important topics. This week, we hang out with the legendary Tom Harkin. He's a close mate, someone I deeply respect, and one of my favorite people to talk to. Literally every time we catch up, we end up in this two hour vortex where time just disappears. By way of background, Tom is one of Australia's most extraordinary facilitators and executive coaches. As you'll hear throughout this conversation, Tom has an incredible grasp on behavior change, on leadership and the human condition. He's worked with hundreds of thousands of people from teenagers to the top executives across the world. He really is a relentless student of the human condition. We cover some serious territory in this chat From masculinity, to fatherhood, to creating high-performing environments, to spirituality, to the role that powerful women have played in shaping our lives. It's one hell of a conversation, so buckle up and I hope you enjoy. Well, I think first thing I want to say is I love the time that we get to spend together Mm. and it is rare, but it's like with the competing schedules, but I know when we do spend time, it's like I feel very nourished from it and so... Mm. It's awesome that we are having this chat now. And I was also thinking, when was the first time that we ran into each other? And I think it was through Ronan Lahan. It was. In um, Hardware Lane. And I remember (laughs) being like, I'd just come from FYA um, Foundation for Young Australians. And like, I just was thrust into an environment and I had this idea of Man Cave. And I know that you'd been stewing on or been involved in masculinity, the space of masculinity, boys, the Reach Foundation. Yeah. And... You'd kind of saw we're a couple steps ahead, and we're like, we'll mm. have a think about this, and you know, have a read of Iron John, yeah, and, yeah, and like, yeah. you know, that were really big moments for me when yeah. I was just this like little noob who had an idea. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah no, yeah, big, big noob, noob. Um, and I think it's it's really special. Um, you know, and we'll go into this, but I just think that the impact that you've had on mm. generations is really remarkable. Wow. And, um, yeah, I just, I just always learn so much from you. So I'm excited to have that chat with you today. Wow. Yeah.
1: Mate, that's very, very humbling. Um, and a, a part of me inside just wants to reject that <laughs> <laughs> um, because um, it feels much more like just chasing my passion and in some ways just going for the easy road of doing the things that just feel awesome. Mm. Rather than real jobs um, But I still remember that chat Because mm. right? I, I think it was um, Well I remember sitting at the bar Like literally yeah. having those conversations Around the coffee And yeah it's been amazing to grow up together mm. You know and I think like this space is interesting Like the space of men's work Or the maybe the modern interpretation of men's work Yeah I just feel like everybody started at the same time. Yep. It's like this kind of moment in time about five years ago yep. where all of these organisations just, it was the right time for mm. that stuff to kick off. And mm. um, and I think we've all been teaching each other as we've yeah. been growing up and meeting at speaking events. And yeah, like that. absolutely. So and
0: I, I think they're a wonderful story because I often get, um. Oh, do you know, Tom and Tomorrow Man or Tomorrow yeah. Architects or Tomorrow Woman, and, and I know you get that for hundred yeah, man definitely. cave, and and often I just go, yeah, we actually used to co work out of the yeah. same office yeah. at um down at y Gap Feast of Merit, not too far from here. So yeah, um, it, you know, it's special to observe, and also I think you know we were trying to run businesses at that stage, you yeah. know, and trying to get an idea off the ground into an industry that potentially wasn't ready for it yet. Yeah, you know, and I think now it you know a few years in we you know can sit down and you know we're having meetings how we can learn from each other what can we collaborate sure. on and i think that's such a rare thing generally but particularly in the social sector too yeah
1: yeah i mean why was such an amazing little mm. and and i like we still look back on just their generosity yeah to go yeah Come and take a spot in our offices and just we'll, we'll support you to, to build your thing. And, yeah, like I remember you and I having a beer down the road at one point and we were – I was really struggling. I think we were mm. having struggles with hires and people wanting to come and work for this kind of mission-driven organisation. We didn't know what our culture was and all of that yeah. kind of stuff. And um, I feel like you always need people mm. to be able – particularly people that you relate to. Yeah. ...that are facing the same challenges. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that, that was just invaluable. And I've often thought about how that can be paid forward. Mm. You know, when we have a space and when we're able to kind of go, Oh, yeah, you know, you've yeah. got this thing. We'll just come and hang out here and be around like-minded people and feed off the buzz and and, yeah. and, and just, that,
0: yeah unofficial support and mentorship. That's it. And I think that what ygap did so well, they showed that you can make a huge impact, but you can also have fun along the way. Yeah. And they definitely know how to fund those guys. And yeah. I think um that notion of paying it forward for the next generation of whoever's coming through is super important. Yeah. Um so for people listening who aren't familiar with your background. Yep. Would you be able to just give us a quick summary of like your journey um, up until now, and you know however long you feel is required to do that? Yeah, easy. Um, well, don't say that. <laughs> that'll be the podcast. <laughs> That's
1: it. And so you we're might done. need to jump and in, and just break no, in, and stop no. me at some point. Um, but uh, I lis- it, for me, I always say it began with my mum. Mm. Like mum is the matriarch of our family, and uh, I feel like dad rocked up. This is really harsh to say of dad, and it's not truthful at all. Mm. But I feel like dad really rocked up when we turned 18. Yeah. Like he was ready to be adults with us and and in that relationship. But mum was the rock of the family Mm. um, the whole way through. And she went on a bit of a spiritual journey of sorts when she was... I'm the youngest out of, like, my sister's eight years old and my brother's four years older. And they often ribbed me for saying, you got the best version of our parents because they are on this yoga journey. (laughs) Um, and it's probably true because I remember having conversations with mom where, you know, shit was happening at school, or I was being bullied or whatever. And I still remember the way that she was unpacking my thinking around that mm. and like sitting in the kitchen on this particular chair and kind of, and her going, oh, and what were you feeling? And what was he feeling? And why do you think he ended up hitting you? <laughs> and mm. all this kind of stuff. But I, I feel like that perspective, I remember reading little books by the Dalai Lama and things yeah. like that that she was handing me. And so I was thinking differently, and I was a really sensitive kid at school, but I hung out with a lot of guys that were pretty good with their fists and punched on and things like that. So I had this dichotomy growing up in Frankston. Yeah. And um, when I was 17, I came into touch with the Reach Foundation. My mates were doing their courses and said, you should go and check it out, and... And, and I did, I thought they were going to be there And then I rocked up and they weren't there And so I went to leave mm. And Sammy Cav um, was running the program And he, yeah, he just kind of came up and said Mate, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, it's not for me I think I made a mistake here And he was like, oh, listen, if you think this is shit You never need to, you know What, what are you going to waste two hours? Mm. But if it's good, like, great, you know, keep rocking up And it sounds so shallow to say And I may be remembering this the wrong way but I swear I remember kind of him swearing and me going, cool, like this guy's cool. <laughs> I'm in, like, <laughs> Yeah, it's a 17-year-old going, oh, this, he's running the program, he's swearing at me, oh, okay, I'll stick around. Yeah. Because um, that's how me and my mates talked. Um, and so that that's where all of this began for yeah. me. Like being in that program, people talking in a real way about yeah. their actual lives mm. and... weirdly the more I heard about how challenging other people's lives are in unfiltered ways the more I just was able to live a bigger life Mm. kind of put everything in perspective and see through the veneer of school and who you hung out with and who you should be getting with and who you shouldn't and whether you call whether you're not what you wear what you don't that all fell away when Mm. I was hearing about people's relationships with their parents and people crying about losing a parent or, you know, being torn between two houses or, you know, um, this incredible young woman with burns to her body that nobody knew about, trying Mm. to navigate, how do I go... It's summer. How do I go to Frankston Pier and take my clothes off? And how do I get a boyfriend? And just seeing her, you know, breaking down over that and going... Holy shit Like this person's incredible You know And I hadn't thought that as a 17 year old Yeah Because when you don't see people When we're all playing the game Or on autopilot It's easy to be assholes to each other Because you're not actually making a call on the person Mm. You're making a call on their protection and their veneer Yeah And so getting access to the real person I think when you really get somebody's unfiltered, unprotected version of themselves Yeah most human beings find that endearing, and it opens them, and they they have deep respect and
0: rapport yeah. for that,
1: and trust, yeah, yeah. All, all of those amazing things. And so that's kind of what I got out of it. I was like, oh my god, like all of this kind of game playing that's going on, you shouldn't be buying into. Maybe, mm. like, maybe there's a whole other story behind the person. Yeah, um, and so I've just be, I've wanted to chase that ever since, mm. and. Uh, so, I started at the Reach Foundation and kind of tried. To, then I wanted to pay it forward because I was like, oh, I'm starting to get hold of some of the things I've always wanted, feel comfortable with myself, to yeah. get a girlfriend, all yeah. those things that were important to me. And then I was seeing other kids come in saying similar things to what I was saying to myself. Mm. I'm an ugly little kid, you know, like everybody hates me or whatever. And going, Oh, it doesn't need to be that way. Mm. Like it actually doesn't need to be that way. And so yeah, so I was lucky to be in this young organization. Reach was really young at the time. Yeah. They just got a sponsorship through Jim. So Reach was started by Jim Steins and Paul yeah. Curry. Paul Curry's a film director and was just this freak yeah. of the human condition, creating these incredible experiences that mm. were like crack. You know, I used to love going mm. to his workshops. And then Jim was what we all know of Jim Steins. He was mm. just this impressive, just this really impressive man who um, who seemed to be like a fatherly figure to, what, like tens, hundreds and thousands of people. Like yeah. the amount of people that say, oh, Jim Steins had an impact on me. It's like, was it, ten of these, this guy, like yeah. roaming around? But he really cared about us. Like he – I remember – he got into Robert Kiyosaki, and rich dad, poor dad. And <laughs> yeah. Then he was like, all right, you guys need to sort your money out. You can't be these non-for-profit kids running around, saving the world and not have any money. And so I've got this Robert Kiyosaki mentor dude. He's going to come in. But it, it, that was just natural for him. Yeah. And to be honest, I don't think any of us realised how lucky we were to have him in our corner mm. until he was gone. Mm. And then when he died, um, I needed. I think I needed to leave that organisation to grieve and to grow up, particularly the last few years, I felt like I was really doing it for Jim. Yeah, where I probably stretched myself in different ways because Jim isn't a really hard guy to do anything for. And those people, like I don't know if you've got them in your life, they are so generous. Yeah, but they really are fatherly in a yeah. way that you're like, I just don't know how I could ever look after you. Yes, like I just don't see where that where where that will ever be possible. Yeah. And I remember being overseas on an overseas trip with some mates and, and got the call mm. that he had his cancer. Mm. And it was really clear, you know, at that point, cut the trip short, go home. This is a time where I can actually do something that I know yeah. will take stress off him. And, mm. and so that was that couple of years. And then stepping away... I just fell in love like that was the focus and then soon after that was like what's next Mm. and that's where Tomorrow Man really came from it was never planned Mm. but the seeds of it started in Frankston because my mates had never come to reach like they were too cool for it yeah uh, even though I thought it was pretty cool, <laughs> it was pretty cool as far as youth groups go. Yeah, yeah. Like it was—I always called it the Fight Club style of a youth group. Yeah. But getting somebody in the door, in the door. which is, you know, yeah. is the greatest challenge of our work. Mm. Getting blokes in the door—it's the hard bit. Once they're there, they'll go, yeah. oh, "Fuck, this is awesome." Yeah. Like I'll invite ten of my mates if mm. I knew it was going to be like this. So I was always trying to get them in because I knew they—these guys were incredible, incredible guys. Yeah. You know, like. They were so charismatic. I wanted to be like them. They had all this magic about them, but they, but also they punched on on the weekends yeah. and they did these things. And yeah. so I've always been fascinated with how do you help guys keep the keep the magic, keep that spark, not become neutral mm. and nothingness and, and not have an opinion and mm. not have a feeling, but also to be able to keep that dangerous magic. Do good with it, make amazing things happen. So anyway, tomorrow man in short was really the manifestation of of a lot of thinking about that. Well, what's the thing? What's the product, and how do we how do we create it in a way that mainstream guys like my mates from Frankston would go, yeah, I'll rock up at that, and that's talking a language that I can do something with with my mates, rather than it being a shameful secret. You know, exactly, I went yeah. and did this thing, but I would never tell the boys about it because yeah. it's just a bit cringy, yeah. and yeah. I don't know how to use that language. I don't want to use that language with them because they're going to say you've changed. That's right. <laughs> like it's not safe. <laughs> He's yeah. changed. Let's, let's not invite him out. He's going <laughs> to kill the buzz. You know? yeah. Um, which is which is a real problem. Like it's a real challenge. Like if you can't tackle that, mm-hmm. then it's never going to work for the mainstream bloke. And if it doesn't work for the mainstream bloke. It's always going to be, as mm. you know, like just some side challenge.
0: Yeah. Um, I love it. So, not only was that's the podcast. So that's the, that's we're something. done. You thanks, everyone. <laughs> thanks for coming. Good. Part one. <laughs> I think that there are many threads in that, but I think, you know, Reach is going on a journey whilst all the young people are going on a journey. Yeah. And you guys are doing, you know, I've only heard the legacy stories of, you know, Jim and Paul. So, yep. I, I grew up in New South Wales where, there was nothing of this nature. Sure. It was like anything that was remotely expressed in my context that I grew up with remotely expressive was labeled as gay or, you know, whatever language was associated with basically policed not to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And then those that were policed, policed others. And that's just the cycle. Sure. But then uh, I'm, I'm curious for like the internal journey of a young person who's already like there's so much emotion bubbling under the surface. Generally, for a young person, then you guys are in these environments with mm. someone like Paul Curry, who is somewhat of a magician at yeah. creating these magic. <laughs> you know, sometimes from what I've heard, these raw, sometimes over the line, sometimes yeah, you know, just real, yeah, 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 crazy environments. But also. Right on the edge where we find the most about who we are and who other people are too. For sure, yeah. How did you navigate that as a, as a teenager just kind of thrust into this environment? Because sometimes these raw environments, in my experience, they are like crack, like you yeah. said. It's like it is the most fucking exciting thing yeah, you've yeah, ever yeah. seen. Yeah. How do, how do you navigate that as a, as a young man like coming through but also living a double life with your mates back in Franga yeah. to reach, you know? Yeah.
1: Man, that is a good question. <laughs> like, I, to be honest, I think it's different for everyone. Mm. Like, I mean, I there were so many people that came through Reach. Not everybody stayed. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of had to be up for it and really, it, yeah, it kind of had to kind of get you in a way where it's like, yeah, this is the kind of place I want to be now and I want to keep on coming in here and ripping myself apart yeah. and ripping myself open. Yeah. Um, I think weirdly like... As a kid, I was pretty fortified. Mm. Like, I was the kind of kid right up until I was probably 20 where, I don't know, like, you know when people meet each other and they, like, either shake hands or they kiss on the cheek or whatever? Like, I, I fucking hated that moment yeah. so badly. Yeah. And and right up until I was 20, I'd ghost. Mm. You know, if I need to leave a party I'd just ghost mm. Because I didn't want that moment Where I had to like we yeah, See you later Gonna kiss on the cheek We're gonna hug I was just a Just really weird and awkward About that That moment. I was fortified Yeah You know, I was an introverted kid mm. I spent a lot of time on my own Like growing up um, I I would kick the footy on my own And play imaginary games of football Outside the house For hours mm. And I was more than happy to do that I remember this guy Really nice guy. I used to kick the footy over his fence all the time. He lived in this area where I did that, and I remember him one day coming up. And the Loney brothers lived just. Uh, I don't yeah. know if you remember, that. Um, but I think one of them played for Melbourne, one of them played for Collingwood. But they would kick the footy to each other. You know, twin brothers, and they just it was they were only like twenty five meters up, and he was like, you know, mate, I know these boys up here. They're very <laughs> nice boys. They would want to kick the footy <laughs> with you, and I was like. No, 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 no. I'm, all, I'm all good, thanks. I don't, I don't need that. Like, I don't want to do that. And so I was really, for me, I was very introverted. A lot of people at Reach were the opposite. Mm. They were there because they were very extroverted. And so I remember they did this diagnostic thing one day, and it was I don't know that disc thing. Yeah. So it's like you know four types of personality. You got your dominant. You got your influencer, which is visionary, high energy. You got your socialized. I think it is, which yeah. is like loves everybody to feel comfortable, don't rock the boat. And then there was one conscientious. Yeah. It was, like, detail-driven and all this stuff. And the whole organisation was over on influence pretty much with a fair smattering of people around S, like, yeah. like to be around people, socialise. And then me and Ranko, the accountant, were in C. Like, And I was like, I don't know whether I should feel good about this yeah. or really bad about this, but... To be honest, for me, how I navigated those environments was I I felt like I needed hardcore stuff to make me feel something. Mm. That makes sense. Yep. Like I kind of felt like I couldn't be gotten to in yeah. a way. And so those experiences were awesome for me mm. because there were these big challenges that I couldn't hide from and it and it, it kind of opened me yeah. up and and that's not Healthy or sustainable in no. the long run, yeah. Um, but at that time, I think young people, like the, Im- the amazing thing about young people, is like they go and watch horror films and they go to theme parks and they go to the biggest roller coaster. Like, they're thrilled. They yeah. want to feel alive. They yeah. listen to real... I, I don't know what you were doing when you were a teenager. I was listening to really
0: sad fucking music. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think the Chili Peppers, Blink 182. Yeah. Like, was, yeah. Just
1: trying to bring on a tear. Yeah, you know, Murray, Trying to cry, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, watching It and never yeah. wanting to sleep again, yeah. you know. Or look at the sink when I'm brushing my teeth the same. And Yeah. So I think that teenagers are angsty human beings. Yeah. Emotive human beings, like you said. Heaps yeah. of emotional life just below the surface. Yeah. They want to feel alive. And so that environment I think is is good for mm. teenagers in a way because rather than what I was doing at the time, I was going and getting shit-faced on yeah. the weekend. Like I was getting really drunk because if I could get a bottle of alcohol from the local Richie's from some pee plater and go to this party and get off my face, I, I had no inhibitions. Yeah. That's all I wanted. That's yeah. all any teenager yeah. wants, to have no inhibitions. Yeah. But what an unhealthy way to be doing it. And so this environment was like, it was kind of like, it was like that but healthy. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like, it was the version of getting drunk or doing the roller coaster or seeing the horror film. But it was our own lives. And it was going to the parts of ourselves that we feared. And then that became a sustainable way of actually getting no inhibitions without having
0: to get off my face. Or well, it's like the organic high and it's yeah. it's, it's the exp, exp, exploration of the human condition which is like endless and infinite for sure in its you know representation of the external Universe is as much if not more internal, big time. Uh, And I think, yeah, to to your point, I think that's one of the most incredible things about young people is they're just willing to go there. Mm. You know, it's almost like the world hasn't put all its conditioning on them, yeah. And they're searching for it. Yeah. I often wonder, and I don't know the answer. I'd be curious your thoughts on this. Like, is that because at that kind of those formative years when they, you know, traditionally would have that rite of passage or that initiatory experience Mm. where they would have to go and effectively do some experience to test their mortality mm. and part of that, you know, whether it's, you know, I know we know Anna Rubenstein's work yeah, and he yeah. kind of talks a lot about this, but it's like that used to be go hunt the lion, you know, get the circumcision, sure. You know, we don't have to do that <laughs> as much anymore. Thank God. Um, You know, whatever it is, but some experience that tests their psyche. Yeah. And they have to – so I do wonder if there is some thrill-seeking that is innately playing out in those environments. Alongside now, we just have – you know, I'm sure we had our equivalent of this when we were, you know, back in the day, but, you know, we've got – you know, young people now have vapes. They have yeah, – you know, drugs yeah. are being sold on Snapchat. You know, it's um, alcohol. Is that, is that happening? Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. That's the, <laughs> okay, that's the latest that's, thing. It's that's like a smorgasbord that goes around, and it, it's like everything in just gets chat. younger. The right. store, the nice. store. <laughs> um, you know, and it's uh, there is something where they there is a numbing of reality in yeah. order to often go inwards too. Um, sure. But then also, you know, the seeking of something more. And I think it sounds like reach mm. was just creating these pockets of that consistently.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, I think like. I think like you're saying, one of the things that was really interesting at Reach is that when I was running the program, say, we're at we're like Mount Erin's staff room where we ran the program, it's just a random environment, but we'd have parents coming up to pick up their kids and they'd say, oh, like, you know, Johnny, we're hearing all these amazing things about him. You guys think he's incredible. Well, you know, he's a bit an asshole at home. Mm. Like, he's not like that at home. So we're mm. not seeing that. So yeah. why are you guys seeing this thing? And it's so brutal for parents. Yeah. Like parents' gigs, so brutal. So brutal. You like bring them into the world, <laughs> you spend all this money, all this time looking after them and then they hit about 16 and they just want to destroy you. Yes. And your world. Yeah. And everything you believe. But it's, it's that innate rites of passage inside. Like, How can I grow up? Unless I destroy your version of reality Or at least challenge it Yeah In a big way Yeah Because I need to know who I am Yeah And if I just take your version Mum and dad for granted Then I don't know how to think for myself Yeah And so I think there is that inherent Mm. you know, rebellion, you know, like I I need to work out who I am and I need to get angsty and hate everything around me in a way. Yeah. I I think, like I don't know the science behind that, but it it seems to be a clear theme and maybe that comes about because as you say, we don't have these pre-existing rites of passage. And to be honest, like I think the kind of elephant in the room conversation is often... I worry that as we move towards um, being very conscious as a society Mm. and very open-minded and really wanting to include everybody, everybody must be included. I worry that what gets swept up in that is nobody should feel uncomfortable. Mm. Anything that makes somebody uncomfortable should really be neutralised because we need to make sure everybody's comfortable. And comfort... is not a sustainable way to live life. It's just not guaranteed. The one thing that is guaranteed is we won't feel comfortable um, and things won't go our way. So it it, it is a kind of weird situation I think we find ourselves in. To be honest, the way reach was Mm. back then, Mm. I don't know whether it it, it could exist today. Yeah.
0: Well, it's also like, like our character is rarely in my own in life has my character been formed from something that's pleasure seeking. Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> it's like yeah. I can tell you the things that have made me who I am have been through massive adversity that sure. I'm like, fuck, I do not know who the fuck I am, how I'm going to get through this. Yeah, I don't trust you. You just broke all that. I'm like, yeah. I'm by myself and suddenly I have this internal evolution and. Progressful. Sure, yeah. But then, you know, and we're even, if we do a reflection of the comfort society that we exist in, like there are no or are very few opportunities to develop a level of resiliency, mm. right? And we're about to step into, you know, already a very uncertain and complex world. Yeah. And, Effectively we're still educating our young people for an academic system that's about get the grades, not about who you are and how you deal with life. For sure. And then on top of that, we're now the metaverse is there, which is the ultimate pleasure town. You know, it's like, oh, you don't like your current reality in this sense. Sure. We'll create a better one for you and we'll design all the same mechanisms that keep your behaviors. Engaged in this, sure. we capture your attention even more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's like, cool, like, where do, what now? Like, you know, yeah. we, we know this, everyone feels it. We're all kind of under the same spell to some level. Um, we we're just talking offline around the social dilemma mm. um, and, yeah, like, yeah. you know, how even the top executives from, um, that work at some of the biggest social media agencies in the world or companies mm. don't let their kids use social media mm. and there was massive clues there yeah <laughs> yeah and so the question now is and you know I know you've also just begun your journey of the last few years as as a parent yeah um like how do we develop our kids for an incredibly uncertain world and how do we shape their character and who do we expose them to as the role models to do that sure and, sure and i think there's we're just at an inflection point where we're like, the role models are emerging. And often yeah. in my experience, there's a heap of powerful women out there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it, that's interesting. Like yeah. If I think about who's coming through the ranks, it's like there are some extraordinary women.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: And who are the male leaders that we follow? Mm. And I, fi- I find that really difficult. And yeah, I want to follow right. them, but I'm like, I just don't know who, who, who mm. I pick. And I can't, I guess, cherry pick from a few, but, mm. and it's hard. Who, who do you follow? Well, that's a great question. I think in Australian context, um listen I like there's very few people in the public eye that I would say that I that I do follow I think yeah um. You know, I think I get a lot of inspiration from you. Mm. I think, you know, just oh. in my journey when I was at kind of these points going, I don't know, uh, th- I've got this gut feeling, where do I go? And you're just mm. like, here's a little bit further on the path. And mm. I was like, thanks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so thank you for that. Yeah, um, wow. You That's know, I think, surprising. yeah, no, I, th- I, I think also there's a quite a few across like the US that yeah. I think that I'd be drawn to. Yeah. Um, you know, I listen, like Marcus Aubrey is a guy mm-hmm. whose podcast I, I find fascinating. Yeah. Mm. Um, You know, I think Joe Rogan's a really interesting guy. Like, you know, he's a very divisive character. But I think, um, you know, I've definitely listened to that podcast over the years and got value from. There's also certain things I don't agree with. Same with the whole Jordan Peterson movement. Like, you know, again, divisive character. But you know, someone who's shown me that, you know, to really think through things and think about my character and my values development. Mm. And then also just extraordinary women in my life, you yeah. know, like, you know, my mom's been a massive role in my life. You know, of course, my dad is, my stepdad, my stepmom, got a few parents, but... yeah. Um, <laughs> and then I'm, I'm just really fortunate to have a peer group of guys, um, particularly in this context, like um, other genders as well, but particularly guys who I've just really surrounded myself with who hold me to account. Sure. Um, and... You know, I think one of the beauties of working in an organization like Man Cave and now Stuff is creating a culture where I can be my best self, and if I'm not, that can be called out.
1: Sure. Yep.
0: Um, I think that's been a, a real big difference for me. Where do you go to to kind of learn as to who who you want to be and get inspiration from?
1: Yeah, it's funny. Like, I mean, I to be honest, I had the same reaction as you in that the the people that I think of are not in mm. in the. Like in the he- headlines, Um or, I mean that, that's n- not entirely true. Like there are people that I really admire, like and they're often left of centre. Like I really like love Ben Quilty mm. um, and his take on masculinity in Australia in general, um, and just a unique thinker. I often gravitate towards people that aren't uh, aren't in our space. Actually, yeah. you know, people that aren't aren't kind of in the business of masculinity and in the business of what it means to be a man of tomorrow. I often like hearing from people that have found it accidentally and don't yeah. necessarily um, yeah, they don't have an agenda, if that makes sense. Yeah. But then when I was when I asked you the question, I was thinking about the question <laughs> and it's all people from my life. Mm. You know, like my dad has been a huge mm. teacher for me. Um, and, and, and in all honesty, I really, I really thought I'd gotten a raw deal and I judged my dad a lot, you know, I loved him definitely, but I also judged him. I was kind of like, I don't want to be, I was embarrassed to be at the cricket club with my old man, you know, he's an Irishman with a huge heart and he's accepting of everyone. And I used to think like, dad, don't you realize they're taking the piss out of you? Mm. Like these guys are assholes. Mm. Like. And I kind of wanted him to, I wanted him, I wanted him to match them. I wanted him to take the piss back. I wanted him to show his teeth. I wanted to, and he just is not a guy who's ever done that for good reason. Yeah. And now, like as I, as I grew up. And I realized how fortified I am mm. and how much easier it is to be fortified than it is to be wide open mm. and, you know, and potentially vulnerable to that kind of judgment or rejection or attack. I just realized, oh, my God, mm. like he's the kind of – he's the unassuming hero, yeah. you know, of our family, probably the most open, wide open person in our family. Yeah. And, and, and I just – more and more, like I was just away on a fire fishing trip with him this last Great. four days, and I just like he's seventy two and he's got the wonderment of mm. like a ten year old boy. Nice. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he's just like, how good is this? <laughs> <And I'm> like, <laughs> wow, <laughs> you know? Wow, this is amazing, and like he. I, yeah, like I'm still a cagey individual at times, you know. I wouldn't be the person just to kind of go, How good's this? and I love you and I, yeah. I have to really kind of consciously make the effort to be that kind of person. Yeah. Whereas for dad it's just innate mm. and it's so pure. He yeah. just he just you know, sometimes it's just stupid stuff. <laughs> like <laughs> but it's because he's He's not checking himself Yeah and he is just being who he is So mm. Dad You know My best mate is a huge hero You mm. know In that he's just such a good man mm. You know He's just such a lovely bloke And he's always there And he's I, I think I admire the people That have attributes That I struggle to get hold of nice. At times yeah. Um And 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 blokes You know There's a lot of guys mm. Like I said Those guys that I admired When I was young mm. I still meet blokes I'm like You're a bloke Yeah Like you're an actual man Yeah I still don't feel like a man Yeah Probably because I got These little boy legs <laughs> <laughs> Um, But I just I don't know Sometimes I meet a man I'm like Wow you're in charge And you're charismatic yeah. But you're open And you can change Yeah And there's something Kind of just electrifying About being around Those blokes
0: I so resonate with that and, Yeah And yeah, it's like if there's a fire, I'm following you. you yeah, know? Like, exactly. And, yeah. and if we've got a drama, whatever it is, if it's emotional, I'll probably still look mm-hmm, to you. The group mm-hmm. dynamic, I'm shifting. Like For sure. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's really wise around your dad and that, you know, my journey has been very similar. Like yeah. I think, you know, I, I had... When I was younger, just I couldn't just understand my dad. And sure. then I think, yeah. you know, as I've now kind of got older, I've had leaned into conversations that were really uncomfortable with my dad and yeah. um, still to this day are really uncomfortable certain conversations. But I just now with a bit of wisdom or time in the ring of my life, sure, I'm yeah, like, yeah. fuck, you did a really good job. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, yeah. when I got in trouble for bullying that kid when I was 14 and you sat me down and you made me write down our family values. Oh, and nice. I was like, this is a fucking waste <laughs> of time. Yeah. That was a huge moment that shaped who I am as a man, and yeah, not yeah. in the moment. Retrospectively, yeah, sure I look get... back on that now as a you know thirty year old guy, and I yeah, go, yeah. that really shaped me. Or like yeah. my my dad was a, you know went away for work for a little few years when I was kind of like twelve to sixteen, and mm. for one birthday I'd never had pocket money, and he he wrote me a, a card for every week of the year, which had like some kind of quote on it or something, wow. and there was ten bucks in it. Amazing. So I went from no pocket money to now, you know, a dad who was overseas, but I knew every week that he was there and he cared for yeah, me. Yeah, wow. Know? And, and I think they're the moments of um, parenting yeah. that accrue, like, weight and compound. For sure. And, yeah. and, and I think, you know, particularly for parents, like every parenting situation is so unique and so different and there's some yeah. family shit in the way. And, yeah. But I think it's those values-driven moments that um, where parents – do for their kids That their kids may never know That are the yeah. most powerful Yeah Yeah It's so funny like Like
1: You saying that I just feel like As guys That's one of the biggest Kind of Like um, uh, Rip offs Of being blokes mm. Is that You don't Hear those stories mm. You know what I mean So everybody's trying to make up It's like you were talking about With education Like yeah. you go through education What is it We're captive in education For like 12 years Yeah more if you go through to university and within that time you never learn how to how to survive a breakup yeah as a good person. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs>
0: you could caveat. Like,
1: yeah. how do I actually survive a breakup without causing harm to people because I feel so torn up and rejected? And how do yeah. I not take that out on other people? Like, that should be critical for everybody, particularly every male, to learn, you know? like Absolutely. Um, but but then everything else as well. Like, yeah. how do you... like? How, yeah, like, just, just life skills. Yeah. So I, f- I feel like, weirdly when you when you go back to all the black and white footage mm. of like old school yeah. school yeah like it was like they were learning shit like practical stuff yeah. you know yeah, like you're going to need the, you gonna need to change a tire you see them you know learning to do these things or learning how to have etiquette you know be yeah. a good person whatever and then we stripped all that out and now we're, we're learning stem and you know science and math and all this kind of stuff and it's like well, where's so you just expected to learn how to you know, transition from being a cha- like a kid at home yep. to being a member of the family. Mm-hmm. And were your parents educated on how to transition a kid from being a kid to being an adult within the family or yep. halfway to an adult? All of those things I don't think is taught. And then, so when you hear those stories, like I hear that, and I'm a father, you mm. know, i got a five-year-old and a, mm. and a two-year-old. And I, that straight away gets me thinking, like, mm. oh, yeah, right. Shit. So when I'm away, mm. which I might be at some point, mm. maybe I can do something like that. Like let them know with consistency that they're there. But I don't think we share those stories. I don't either. And like, I as men, I should say, no, because yeah. I feel like more women mm. are more likely, like just say, even with the kids coming, yeah. um, there's mothers' groups. Yeah. Paige has this WhatsApp group with all these mums she's never met before, but they're yeah. all having kids at the same time. They're all swapping yeah. strategies. Yeah. Like where's the dad strategies? Yeah. Like we're all out there just going, oh, I don't know, just yeah. working it out. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But no stories. No, here I've learnt this thing. I work this thing out. I sit sit my kid down and get him to write the values of the family. Like, what? Yeah. Can Can families have values? Yeah, is that allowed? But I we do never it for heard our of that our yeah. yeah. business. <laughs> yeah,
0: we set the vision for our business, and the key behaviours yeah. and the culture, and yeah. you know the KPIs. Um. Yeah. It's, I think it's, you know, I often you know reflecting back at on parenting, like I think there's moments and I I was going to come back to this for you and I I will just kind of put it in a a bit of an imaginary footnote, like the moment it flipped for you and your dad. Mm. Um, But the the point before that is I think there's something around like, particularly with the father-son dynamic, there's something around this like, and I don't know if, you know, I've heard the the saying before that like a mother's love is unconditional and a father's love is conditional. Yeah, right. right? And I don't want to box people in, but I think it's an interesting thing to think about. And, you know, I know... A lot of dads go out of their way to try and shape their son in a way so he'll be ready for the world. Mm. And they do that with the best tools that they know how. But also the other piece that comes into there and um is just the the transmission of their own trauma. Yeah. I yeah. think comes in the shit that they've inherited from their dad or whether that dad was there or wasn't there, um, versus you know, the, their own life experience as a man and where they've been hurt or rejected and not having the skills to deal with that and then mm. their pride's impacted and then their ego's impacted and then they go inwards and then they find things to numb themselves or deal with it. Yeah. And then also there's the cultural influences that, you know, one and a half generations ago there was war yeah you know and you come from a war and then you come back into a society that doesn't welcome that trauma or know how to be with that
2: Mm. that's
0: like a shell-shocked man sure and then a shell-shocked society and then we've got them kind of raising our kids but then on top of that we've got just the influx of advertising around what a man should be you Mm, know mm, and mm. and then that's so close to us, you know, and and so we haven't as a society created these pockets to welcome men to heal yeah, and, you know, for the not to be scared that their masculinity is going to fall away by them healing, even that word heal, can we say that as a guy, you know? Um, And then, you know, we've got our dad doing the best for us and, you know, it took me a long time to recognise that the way that my dad gives me love is not how I like not how I like to receive love, but he's mm. still giving me love. Sure. And yeah, that was yeah, like yeah. a big fucking moment for me. I was yeah. like, holy shit that he has been showing me love in all these different ways. Yeah. And it just like completely flipped the dynamic of our relationship. And it definitely not perfect we yeah. have you know always working through whatever yeah but that was like a really big thing for me just to go he's just doing the best you yeah, know yeah and i'm in a privileged position i get to stand on his shoulders now that i get to run an organization uh, and now two organizations that's around creating better men because of the path my dad forged for me sure you yeah, know and, yeah. and so i'm curious for you like when was that moment with your dad where things just kind of flicked
1: yeah i s-
0: I th- I think it was um, <laughs> I
1: kind of when I was at Reach I kind of got to I was addicted to the crack of being broken open and then I got to this point where I thought I was full of shit mm. and I would be I was being listened to too much within that organisation and and I felt that I was full of shit mm. so I was in this weird predicament. Like not full. I wasn't. I probably paint a pretty ugly picture of what I was like. But I just felt like I wasn't what people were saying I was. Who were saying you're so vulnerable and you're so this and you're so authentic. And I was like, I, I don't feel like that. Like I feel like I'm not. I still people still couldn't really hug me. I still had this caginess about me. Hmm. Um, I still had this fortress kind of around me in a, in a way. Anyway, I Paul had mentioned these this acting teacher overseas. And that this guy just breaks people open. And I was like, <laughs> "Great, that's my crack. I'm going to find this guy. He'll break me open." And so I, I'd, I'd saved up all my money. I went over there and I did these hardcore acting classes, mm. like in LA. And um, and I showed up, and and it was a f- husband and wife, and they'd been they'd been doing these classes for like sixty years or something like. Mm. Uh, yeah, well, he had. She was younger than him, but she'd been doing it for a long time and so i was doing his classes and shitting myself and and kind of way out of my depth and i was kind of being broken open a bit um and then somebody said oh you got to work with his wife susanna she really breaks people i was like yeah sweet i'm signing up so went and worked with her and i'll never forget i was in a session with her and she said what are you what are you here for like what are you after why have you come over here and i said i want to be broken open like i feel like i can't get to my vulnerability i'm sounding like a nutcase um but she said oh okay so you really want somebody to snap you open and break down your walls and i was like yeah yeah that's kind of what i'm after and she was like you know the funny thing about walls is that somebody built them you know they exist because somebody built them and 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 you built your Mm. walls so the the weird thing is you want to do all these big things Mm. but what i've found is that if you breathe and release all the tension from your body and you ask your wall why it was built, it will probably take itself apart for you. Yeah. And you won't need to break it. It will just actually mm-hmm. voluntarily take itself down. Yeah. And um, and so we got into it, you know, and, and it was really simple. She would literally say, unpart your legs. Yeah. Um, hands by your side. Br- take, take deep breaths. Yeah and ask yourself how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. And um, and that was her crazy stuff that yeah. she would do, but I would often end up, you know, in tears. Yeah. Kind of as everything bubbled up because when you yeah. don't hide from stuff, it just comes up. What's yeah. ready comes up. We spend a lot out a lot of our time moving fast, talking fast, yeah. distracting ourselves so that it doesn't come up. Yeah. And she was like, you just got to let it all come up cuz it'll stop. Yeah. And then you and then you're good. Yeah. But then you got all this choice. Yeah. And I remember within that I started having this realisation that my walls had been built really with mum. Yeah. You know, this person I admired so much. Yeah. That I looked up to so much. I feel like she taught me to be a warrior in the world, which is really ironic, you know, and kind of counterintuitive in Mm. the way you expect to be. Doesn't your dad teach you to be a warrior? And Yeah. Well, mum kind of taught me to be fortified. And when you talk about war, like, my granddad had those experiences Mm. and he ended up killing himself. Mm. And I didn't find this out until I was an adult, you know. Um, He was a company man, like a hero at work. Yeah, Like, so many people turned up at his funeral and said that he had changed their lives. But at home, Mm. he was a dysfunctional individual and he created all this emotional turmoil at home. So my mum grew up around that. Mm. And she says, I learned how to freeze him out. Yeah. He would do these silences. Well he wasn't going to silence me. I'd silence him back. Yeah. It's pretty incredible for a young woman to do that. Yeah. And she kinda handed that to us. You yeah. will never let anybody take your power. Yeah. Never. Mm. No matter and so we were precocious little nutbags. Yeah. You know, because we would never let a teacher talk over us. Yeah. We would never let it, nobody could take our power. But with that meant that we were pretty fortified pretty wary and here dad was floating around our family at times you know not really being appreciated for his value Mm. and it was around the time where i was learning to take down that brick wall Mm. and and let people in that i really respected dad and i remember her telling me i susanna i've worked with her over a few years I remember one time she told me, this is really random, but we're talking about relationships. I never had an intimate relationship. My longest relationship had been three months Mm. until I was about 21 because as soon as the other person had been too vulnerable in the relationship or needed me, Mm. I, I wanted out. I'm like no, nah, because I'm I don't need you as much as you need yeah. me, so I got to get out of here yeah. before I hurt someone. And um and then I did have a relationship with a much older woman who taught me heaps about life. Mm. And, and 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 then and then that came to a close. And I remember Susanna saying, "I know what you do with women." And I was like, "Oh yeah, you know, like tell me." And she said, "You it." it she used this weird metaphor, but she said it's like there's a doorway. There's two steps up to the doorway. And you walk up to her door. And you walk up the two steps, you knock on the door, and then you walk down the two steps, and then she opens the door and there you are standing there and you go, "Here's me." You know, look at how open I am, how am i you know, how amazing I am, or whatever. And then they usually walk down the stairs, they they grab hold of you and they say, "Come in here." Mm. And she said, you know, very soon the woman of your dreams is going to show up. And she is the your one. She's going to be your one. She's not going to walk down those stairs, mate. She's, she said, you need to be willing to walk up those stairs, put your nose on the door, knock on it and stay there and be willing to be annihilated <laughs> because she's going to really ask you to earn this one. And that's what happened. Like, I met Paige soon after and um, and she fucking terrified me. Like, yeah. every part of me felt unworthy. Mm. Um, but I knew in my gut, this is... This is my wife I mm. want to share my life With this person um, And dad had always done that mm. Dad has had his nose To the door His whole fucking life And I was like What a man Yes Like what an incredible man And then I started realising Like I've walked past this guy For so much of my life And judged him For not being man enough And I've been sitting With the jackpot You know My whole life and so in many ways I felt like I've been catching up time with my yeah. own dad like how amazing is this guy like he really loves all out yeah. all out yeah. you know to his detriment at times yeah. because if he knows that there's tension in the family he'll he'll be full of anxiety he needs yeah. he needs everybody to be looked after and be well because he's exposed yeah. whereas Mum and I, and and arguably, our, all all of us in our family, other than Dad, we can watch anxiety in another person, yeah. and we can feel distance from it and allow it to be. Yeah, and that's got its strengths, yeah. but also weaknesses, like in that it's not really vulnerable to the mm. whole situation. So, it was a combination of this incredible woman, and then this realization: oh my god, you know, like I've seen Mum as this incredible hero and I've seen dad as this, you know, work in progress that yeah. should be better. And, and then it flipped on its head. And I was like, Hey Mum, you got some work. To do? <laughs> yeah, <totally. laughs>
0: oh, I think that, you know, the beautiful thing about that is you also, you follow the knock at the, you know, the door to go mm. overseas, you know, like that could have easily not happened. It could have been a sliding sure. door moment. And, you know, I think that's, that's the remarkable thing about trusting your gut. Oh. you know, and, you know, something deeper in you. There was that. I often just think about like the spiritual knock at the door that each of us have at various times in our lives and whether we choose to open it or not. Sure. But then to go there and to, you know, and I don't think people realise how insane acting <laughs> classes can be. Yeah. Like, and comedy and like yeah. clowning. and oh, clowning, and, and like, I Torture. think people just think people go there to pretend, but the acting as a philosophy and a craft Mm. literally rips apart the human condition and and, you know i think shout out to all the actors out there like doing that like (laughs) fucking hell you know but but, you know i think in in particularly in the line of work that we do which is around understanding people human Mm -hmm. the human experience the human dynamic and um and those some of those acting teachers are quite mystical you know yeah. like they've just seen some things that like other people haven't they've had time in the ring of breaking people down but also yeah. rebuilding them back up yeah exactly yeah. and and it is yeah. beautiful and i think you know again the i've actually been my own personal like development practice at the moment is Mm. very similar to what you're saying is slowing down asking my gut questions meeting the different parts of myself developing relationships with those parts of myself and more than that like particularly finding the parts that i've shamed and shunned away yeah actually feeling them and crying so (laughs) much yeah it's it's all been stored yeah and, and And I think what I've noticed by me doing that is to your language is like so many walls, so many barriers, which are often built by a a little kid who didn't want to be abandoned sure, or a teenage boy that didn't want to be left out. Yep. Yeah. And it was like, that's just playing out. And I just see that in so many different moments of when I get pissed off, triggered, angry, whatever, Mm. it's often just a part of me that just feels really unsafe. And then I project and I push people away. Yeah. And then the other thing I've kind of been on this journey of is like getting different, like I don't have to get all my parenting or my motherly energy or my fatherly energy from just my parents. Sure, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, you know, if I kind of come back to Jim Stein's, Mm, mm. I know you had like a pretty special relationship with Jim as someone, you know, who was kind of, you know, on path to kind of take over reach at one stage mm. and and Jim was, you know, such an important role in your life. Yeah. How how was that dynamic and you know, what was it like to have that relationship with a guy like Jim Steins?
1: Yeah. Yeah, listen, it didn't start that way. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't start that way. Like I I remember so when I came into <laughs> when I came into Reach, I didn't like Jim. Yeah. I was like, This guy's full of shit. And everybody thinks he's like you know this amazing guy who cares about everyone, doesn't listen to anybody, doesn't give a shit, you know, kind of only liked certain people. So I had a lot of judgments. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I, I remember I was on this camp and I got we were walking along this track and you paired up with people to have a chat and I got paired up with Jim and he was like, oh, how are you going, like you know, and 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 what do you think about? reach and 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 i unleashed i was like oh he's asking me what i think so i was like oh this is shit and how we get leaders in i think it's bullshit should come from the programs because if we're really doing well in the programs leaders should come out of there And blah blah blah, and i really got on one and then he was like all right change partners (laughs) (laughs) just walked off i was like oh shit you know and then i I still remember having this chat with kirsten who i got paired up with i was like i think i just fucked up with jim i just said all this shit and he just changed (laughs) partners and walked off And and it kind of went like that for a while, and then I got invited to a particular camp with him down the line, and somebody said, "This is your moment," you know. Mm. Like he he only invites people on that to go with him when something when you kind of you're, you're making it, you're making it. And then I think to be honest, I got close to him, and he started to let me into things. He was a really interesting guy, you know, like in that. For example, like he would call me at like maybe seven o'clock at night sometimes, and he'd be like, "Hey, hey, I'm just thinking something. Uh, I got, got I, got, I got this idea." And then he'd he'd tell me the idea, and then at first I didn't realize what he was after, actually after, so I would tell him what I thought of it, and then he'd hang up. Like, and that wasn't it. Wasn't about being rude. It was just yeah. how he operated. He wouldn't yeah. say thanks. Bye. Hey, that was great conversation. <laughs> Thank you so no much. No book, Andy. Yeah. Like, yeah, right. And he like, oh, shit, he's gone. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Like, I, I hope that went well. But I started realizing he seems like he knows everything and he seems invincible, mm. but he's actually really vulnerable. He yeah. really cares what people think and he doesn't always have the answer. And so I, and so I started realizing, oh, he wants support. Mm. That's what he wants. He doesn't want me to attack him because I think he's invincible and so he can handle anything that I've got to say. I think sometimes leaders get the roughest treatment because you just think they're capable of it all. And so you unleash with them because it's like, oh, you're running the thing. You're capable of this. And so I'll unleash. I would never do it to my peer, but with you, unfiltered. I'll just let you have it because you should be sorting this out. yeah. And I think being around him was a big lesson in vulnerability. And the closer that I got with him, the more vulnerability I saw. And mm-hmm. I, I remember standing – there was like 800 people at this fundraising breakfast and we were about to go on stage and um, and he said to me uh, – he said, he said, how, how are you going? And I said, I'm shitting myself. Like I'm so fucking scared. And he, and he laughed and he's like, oh, you're like me like i feel like that all the time it never finishes you know (laughs) and and he's like it's always like that and then just as we're about to walk on he goes don't fuck it up and (laughs) just punched me in the arm and walked off and i was like fuck you know i gotta land this moment so that everybody you know supports this program but i remember talking and i talked really honestly about you know about this kid in our programs and and um and i remember sitting at a table um yeah, i kind of forgotten this moment But I remember him um, He just kind of came up Kneeled down beside me And put his arm around me And uh, and he said, awesome work Well done, mm-hmm. you know And um, I think in many ways Jim was the archetypal kind of father in my life If that makes sense yeah. Because he was a guy that I wanted respect from And I wanted love from And I didn't think I deserved it um, And he didn't ironically, people probably think he showed it in all of these, you know, he would tell you in detail how he loved you and how he felt about you. But it, he actually was pretty stretched. Mm. He had a lot going on. He was impacting a lot of people. So he didn't have all that time. And so there were small moments like that where you really felt like, like, I've earned this. I've worked my whole life, you know, to get to this point. And, and I, I've got his approval and that matters. Yeah. And, and I think... There's value in that, like you were saying, different people's types of love. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of value in 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 earning it and, yeah. and not getting it all the time at every yes. moment, but having to ask yourself, who do I need to be in order to rise rise to my best to get it? And he was really great at that. Like he was good at saying, "Hey, I care for you, but there's standards, and and you got better in you." And you got to rise to that rather than I love you at every moment. Don't feel that you ever need to be anything more than you are. He would kind of say, there's more to you, you know. So I don't want to acknowledge you right now as being unfinished, as being finished because you're unfinished. And I think you got more. And and I'll let you know when I think you've gotten there. Mm. Now, some people might say that's arrogant, who's got the right to tell you, you know, where you're going to get to and when you're there. But um, it was incredible to... To be around that and and, and to learn about the fragility of a leader like that. At one point he said to me, I can't hear what everybody's got to say. I actually just can't. I can't cope with that. I'm a racehorse and I need the blinders on sometimes because otherwise I'll stop. Yeah. If I hear everybody's opinion in acute detail, I'll I'll stop running. And I've got to keep running because otherwise this thing is not going to help all the people it could help. Yes. And and I think there is that dichotomy that you gotta I think sometimes we're chasing an unrealistic perfection today. We've gotten so wise that it's yeah. like be the dominant one and, and cry now and let everybody always have exactly what everybody needs for their individual tastes. And like you're saying, sometimes you gotta respect that that's their version. And it might not be exactly what I want, but it's their version.
0: And just the earning it part too, I just want to underline is just mm. such a, and it's a rare thing in a world now coming back to what we're talking about pleasure. It's like, you know, even with, even in a different context, like how people are able to just change their LinkedIn title to yeah. whatever job they want to identify yeah, yeah. as. I'm now a high <laughs> performance coach. It's yeah, like, really? Yeah, exactly. Like you re- look, that's a pretty <laughs> lofty thing, you know, sure, and it's like, yeah. you know, there is something remarkable about the, what it takes to earn something, you yeah. know? And, um, I know in Iron Man, for instance, like mm. the, bi- the the actual business of Iron Man, one of their internal mantras is, Do you, did you earn the medal today? Yeah. As part right. of their culture, yeah. right? And it's like, you know, this concept of like, you've got to gruel in order to evolve. And, sure, sure. And I think, you know, it is rare to find f- figures like that in our lives. And yep. I think whether that was innate in Jim or if that was something that someone's taught him, that mm. concept of that, that big fatherly energy, And of course, it doesn't necessarily have to come from the fatherly energy, but someone who can create, you know, I love, there's a beautiful quote around eldership, which I love. Mm. And it's, we we may have talked about this before, but the role of the elder is to create the space for the glorious mistakes of the young. Yeah, right. To create the space for the glorious mistakes of the young. And it's like, how. and and I know when I'm in the presence of an elder or or someone of that stature, it's like, I feel like I can be held. I feel like, um i can kind of fuck up and i can come back and be like oh, you yes. know like yeah that yeah low yeah, yeah yeah um and it just it's special to just hear that that you yeah. had that experience with him yeah
1: yeah yeah it was amazing in that way and like you know what you're talking about there i do feel that it's it's rare you know unfortunately yeah. like i One of the things that I we talk about, you know, talk about male privilege and just privilege in general. Um, I often think about, and you talked about sliding doors moments and and the calling and and following your calling and and things like that. But I often think back and, and just kind of thank literally my lucky stars or the universe or whatever it might be for... Just these little sliding doors moments that happen for, you know, I know that, um, say, Sammy and Carly, who were running that first program that I went to, they, a couple of weeks in, were like, we, we think Tom needs to be in the leadership group. And Jim didn't think that I should be, yeah. you know, they fought for me. Yeah. And I was like, what did they – like, if if Mm. I hadn't met them and they hadn't fought for me, then that wouldn't have happened. Or if my mates didn't say, hey, you should go to this thing. And if I knew they weren't going to be there, I wouldn't have gone. I would never have gone that night. Or, you know, just all these, like, little moments. And I think one of the privileges of Reach that many people don't get their hands on, it was – it was a network of mentors. Yeah. And I literally have just come from lunch with one of them and I'm doing all this amazing work with him like 20 years on from meeting him and he just took me under his wing. I remember like he was working at PwC and I, I was a, just a teenager and he said, I want to meet with you. And so I went into PwC, boy from Frankston, went up through the lifts, the into the foyer, yeah. you know, okay, where, who are you going to meet, uh, you know. And I was like, yeah, meeting this guy. And they're like, okay, yeah, take a seat over here. We'll be with you shortly. And then I was led into this room and the and the barista came in. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what? And, you know, this barista, we're looking out over the MCG <laughs> level 40 or whatever. There's a barista here, you know, and so ordering the coffee and feeling so out of place in this kind of, I don't know, just <laughs> like five-star environment. And I remember he said to me, hey, I really want you to know something very clearly. I'm making a, a a business call here. That's why you're sitting here. Uh, I'm not doing this to give a kid to give a kid a leg up. I'm not doing this because I like you. Those things may be true, but I'm not doing that for this reason. I'm making a commercial decision that I think you're going to be valuable in years to come, and I think I can be of value to you. Now, some people I tell that story, they go, "What an asshole! Like, who is this guy?" You know what I mean? Yeah. But I actually like have always remembered that moment because it was kind of him saying you've got value that's unrealized Mm. and I don't want you to think that I'm doing this just because I need to look after a kid and and so that mentorship you know I've got these there's probably been and I, I mean this there's around about eight guardian angels in my life that I've had that have believed in me And kind of – and Jim was a big one at this for a lot of people. I kind of used to say it's like he was holding the world back with his massive arms and he was going, get in here and run amok. Yeah. See what you can do. And he always did that. It was like, I'm going to hold back all these adults that think you guys can't do this. I'm going to open the doors for you. Get in here and run amok. Just show them what you're capable of. And and getting that grace period, you know, like to make those glorious mistakes – um, I feel like everybody should have that. The whole, the, you know, every young person should have that. But the reality is that they don't. There's a lot of young people that will not meet those people, um, and so we'll never know what they could have been capable of. And and we should, you know, I know Ben Quilty talks about it, the uncles and where are the uncles yeah. um, and aunties of our society because we're living now in homes as as nuclear families and we're not in villages so where's your village yeah you know absolutely
0: and and we know when young people are kind of like 12 onwards they break away from their parents and they seek that mentoring and guidance elsewhere which used to be the village the town hall the synagogue the mosque yeah now it's you know you plug your headset in and you're gaming yeah exactly yeah that's what you're strapped into and i think you don't have to identify as a f- like a family-related uncle and auntie, but young people are so open to being mentored if you're real. Oh, all all they want is, is for somebody to see
1: value in them that yeah.
0: they can't yet see in themselves. Yeah. And, and to your point, like someone, like if they do something that ref- like reflects their character or a moment of courage or a moment of fuck up yeah. for, to have that moment that Jim had with you, yeah, you know, to also just the hand over the shoulder, like that yeah. is a life defining moment. Oh, massively. And yeah. then also just to realize, you know, again, just the example from Jim, like he's, you know, punching your shoulder going, yeah. don't fuck it up. Don't you know, know? Up. like yeah, yeah. I'm in this too, yeah, you know, yeah, and that, yeah. that's such an important thing for a young person to feel like the, the humanization of the, the older or the elder is oh, just for sure. so important.
1: Well, I think, like, I
0: mean, you were talking about being really feeling
1: privileged to have those, that the trusted inner sanctum of your mates. I've got a kind of handshake agreement with with one of my best mates who lives in Ireland, and he's got uh, two little boys about the same age as our little boys. And we've got this kind of handshake agreement that I hope we make good on, and, and I plan to. It's just to put our boys on the plane, you know, at a certain age and just send them one way. And and he's just going to lob up on Tony's doorstep, and he's got him for a couple of months. And I just want him to be around a good man, yeah, that's going to give him things that that I can't, Paige yeah. can't, yeah. Um, and 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 I don't know when that moment will come, but maybe it'll be the moment that potentially he's he's kind of getting more out of video games than than life, you know, yeah. uh, than living, breathing life. I mean, video games are life, and they will be life, yeah. you know. Here to stay, and I don't want to have a closed mind towards that, and feel like you know you have to be in the trees at mm. all times because that's just not the reality of our world. But just to to have human mentorship, you yeah. know, some person that gives a fuck about Riv, who is literally on the other side of the world, and I hope he sends Jerome this way, yeah. and. The investment that I'll have in in looking out for Jerome and giving him an experience and letting him know like your tribe's bigger, yeah. So so play bigger when you go home, yeah. Because like you looked after, you yeah. know, like, you always better rock up here. If yeah. if he ever turned up at our doorstep in need. We'd be there for him. Without he's, a doubt. You know, he, he's
0: Griff's kid and so... I love that and the the beauty, you know, we talk about rite of passage, yeah. that might be the 16 year old, you know, for sabbatical, sure. <laughs> you yeah. know, from the teenage years over yeah. into a different experience and... And that's where life opens up, you yep. know, that's the moment of, you know, whether it's in a reach program where you just see the inner world of some parent, you know, some kid whose parents are going through a divorce and yep. you're like, fuck, that's what it's like Yeah. to, you know, any travel trip that we've been lucky enough to do in our life where your perspective sure. just explodes and you're like, holy crap. Yeah. But then also to have the added benefit of someone who feels like family. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's, that's pretty r- remarkable and rare, yeah. I think. I've just on the the best friend front with my best mate. We, um, we lived together in Melbourne for a while and. Mm. Um, when I uh, we d- both decided to move out for different reasons, we wrote up like a, just an agreement yeah. among our like our mateship. And mm. we we're like, what are some things we want to tick off in our lives? Yeah, right. And then um, what can we, you know, hold each other accountable to? Mm. And um, one of those things was a weekly call. Yeah, so right. for the last four and a half years, we have a non-negotiable weekly call <laughs> yeah. where we just check in on life. And sure. sometimes it might go for like, you know, an hour where he'll talk for 55 of those minutes yeah. and at the end be like, Sorry, man, I just fucking dumped yeah, on you yeah, there. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, man, I'm actually all good. It's all, all good. sweet. Yeah. You know, and other times vice versa. And, you know, we've been on other sides of the world and we, but we just make the time for the call. And, yep. and that's so against my nature to have something built in like sure, that. Sure. But that's kind of part of the adventure. Yeah, I'm just yeah, like, yeah. yeah, there is nothing else in my it's life that happen. is built in like sure, that. Yeah. And it's been, it's kind of crazy to know that I just have that pocket carved out. With him, who can just, you know, understand my inner world sometimes more yeah. than what I do. Yeah. You know, and I think a little bit of an intentionality with those key relationships really goes a long way.
1: Oh, massively. Yeah. Uh, what one of the things
0: about COVID
1: that's been really interesting is like those patterns of communication. Yeah. Uh, I was saying to like, on, I've been sending these really long, long one way voice memos. Yeah. So mainly a couple of mates in Ireland. Um, But they're like – and I've had a couple of comments from people. Like generally them sending them back and they'll be sending them back and they'll go, oh, shit, mate, I'm really sorry. Eight minutes, like I've really gone on one here, you know. like, And it's kind of been interesting. Why are we as blokes so cagey about length of conversations and why it's bad to kind of talk for that long or to share for that long? And I was – I was kind of just thinking about it. I was saying um, when Paige and I first got together, we started kind of like courting a bit through emails. Yeah. So I think – I can't remember what the first email was, but it was like the emails gradually got longer and longer and that was our way of kind of – we didn't really have any link to each other and so that was our way of kind of having a conversation. And I remember like they were like crack, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like I'd get there I was like, yeah, here it is. <laughs> yeah. I'm really going to sit down and kind of get into this one. And, and then I would write down a, a big reply back. But now that we're together and married and we've got kids and we run business together and all this kind of stuff, there's no place in our life where we get into those depths of our heads, if that makes sense. Mm. Like if you sit down and write a letter for an hour, yeah, you go into places that will never come up in a conversation. Yeah. You know, you're just writing down, and you're like, Yeah, this is something I've been thinking about lately and and then it makes me think about this and this other thing and you kinda of go to the layers of depth that we we just don't have time to get into in the car with each other or Looking you know. After the kids yeah, all, yeah, all that kind of stuff. And and so I was saying I was saying to one of the guys, Hey yeah, like, you know, don't apologize because I'm really loving kind of getting insights into your life you know and being able to be there for you as a mate and I feel really privileged because they're talking about things that I've never known before and it's like and also because it's sporadic like you would have this week 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 four touch points in a month you're gonna see a version of your best mate's life that he won't even be aware of yeah patterns changing and things that then you'll be able to reflect back to him and go yeah I'm seeing you wrestling with that and I'm hearing you wrestling with that and And it's coming out of these messages. Yeah, yeah, that is actually going on. Like, Mm. yeah, or um, but just that. And I know that there's some studies around guys and letter writing and resilience against suicidal ideation and depression. That you know they've used letter writing as a mechanism, and shown that that it increases their resilience in in their mental health and well being the the added kind of uh, having a pen pal, yeah, 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 and and the added emotional intelligence of actually unpacking your inner thinking, of course, and and looking at it objectively.
0: The practice of self reflection of of thinking, you know, even the the. A literacy development that's possible from writing means we can understand ourselves and our world better. Sure, but then also, you know, the giving of that letter, yeah, you know, the element of vulnerability of how is that going to be received, yeah, and it's it's all in that. And I think you hear about those in prisons, like the the letter writing and the pen pals, yeah, for for particularly those inmates that have been there for a long time, how meaningful that is for them, and sure, and also it's a form of education, yeah, and and it's like the more we are educated, the more our life, you know, increases in its ability. To live a quality life. That's cool. So what's the plan with the, the voice notes? Are they going to keep going? Are they yeah like? I, have no, I have no idea. <laughs> I reckon they will. Yeah.
1: Like, yeah. I reckon, well, yeah. I actually don't know. Like, who knows what's going to happen beyond COVID. Yeah. But with these guys, I, I think it will because yeah. they're in Ireland. Yeah. You know? And so we've always, like in the past, it's just been writing each other a WhatsApp or whatever. Um but yeah, I think I think it will continue. Like like I said, I feel like it's a really unique and different way to communicate with people. Um, and it's definitely given me a closeness with those guys that's arguably closer than my friends here. Yeah, weirdly. Yeah. because they're so distant, there's yeah. so much effort and energy being put in to really letting each other know how we are. And I think that probably happens a lot. You know the people that are right next to you. Yeah, you kind of take for granted. Remember these guys? Um, we ran this uh, workshop in Adelaide, and these bloke—it was like a bloke's night in this pub, and um, there was yeah, maybe about sixty blokes there that showed up from around Adelaide. And started off like, hey, all right, but it's so awkward. You know, whenever guys... Guys are in corners. Oh, yeah. my God. It's just like we are socially inept. <laughs> like. And anyway, so it's really awkward. Like, okay, guys, a bit awkward. We're going to kick off in a second. Uh, we just want to know, like just, just turn around to some bloke and tell them why you're here. You know, like, did, were you made to come? Somebody tap you on the shoulder? Your wife told you to be here? That's usually the kind of standards. And there was these three guys in the middle at the front, and uh, and two of them were like, "Oh, oh we're here for him," <laughs> and uh, and he was like, "Yeah, I've I've just been through a breakup, and and I'm I'm struggling, yeah. like i I, I just I, and I figured maybe I'll get something out of this, and and my mates kind of agreed to come and and support me, you know, just be here around me." And then we were doing these kind of this session and we got to this point where it's a step to the line, you're stepping up if you agree with the question, you're stepping away if you don't. And it was like step step to the line if you've got stuff going on that your mates don't know about, you know. And stay on the line if that stuff has been going on in the last 12 months, last six months, last three months, last month, if you're going through it right now. There's a large group of guys still on the line at that point. And then one of these guys who was kind of like, a bit like, this isn't really my thing, but I'm here for him. He said in the debrief to that exercise, um, he said, I, I'm, I'm asking big questions about me as a mate at the moment. And he said, like, us three boys, we catch up religiously every afternoon at five o'clock for a beer, every afternoon, here in a pub, Uh, I would say we're lucky. Like, I count ourselves lucky. We are really good mates and we got really good support. So we've been catching up every every night. Yeah. And my two mates just stood on the line and said that their mates don't know what's going on for them now. So these conversations are going to be really different from now on. Like, I promise you that. After this, those conversations are going to be different. We're going to talk about what's actually going on and sure we'll banter, but I want to know what's going on and I want to be there for my mates. Mm. I, I feel really bad that I, I don't know that. And and I think that that's an extreme example of a lot of blokes. Yeah. Like ironically, the people that you've got the most touch point with, you just kind of assume, well, yeah, we're, we're good. We're good. Because we see told each other me. all the time. They would have told me. Yeah, fine. exactly. Yeah. But and then, and then you ask yourself, but have I actually asked them? Yeah. Like, have I actually asked them? And and if I don't know how to uh, how to ask, have I have I bothered to practice to ask? Yeah. You know, if I don't know how to change a tire, I read the manual. I ask somebody how. But maybe when it comes to asking a deeper question, making my mates feel safe enough to tell me what's really going on, yeah, have I done anything for that?
0: Which is. The cornerstone of our work right is Mm. like how do we create these environments where guys get to develop the practice to not only ask the question but also to sit in the uncomfortability for sure so then for people listening because i think that's such a it's such an example to your point of like that is i observe that i've lived it so often yeah so what if guys are listening to this right now what like, where do they begin? What's, you know, the starting point? What what can they do if they... They know that they've got a, a mateship group, but they want to go a little bit deeper. Yeah. Um, and obviously, it's different based on the friendship groups. But, sure. like, where, you know, just some basic tips, you reckon, that, that would make a difference?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, the first one is, is to go first. You know, like, again, like, we're so good at playing the game, at looking like we've got our shit together, that... If we are asking questions, as, hey, I really want to know how you're going, but I haven't told you how I'm going, it's just like it just doesn't feel safe. Well, Mr. got it all together, you know, Is asking me how I'm going. I'm supposed to tell him how messed up I am yeah, right yeah. now. And so I feel like going first is just so important. Like if you want your mates to tell you how you're going, you've got to be telling them how you're going and showing them that you're willing to tell them on the bad days as well as the good days. And then I feel like, like you're saying – you've got to be willing to care more about your mates than than you care about staying comfortable like you got to be willing to say if i'm really going to be a good mate then it's going to it's going to cost me a bit of awkwardness and i'm up for that yeah. you know and so the awkwardness is how like how are you going and them going yeah good mate yeah yeah all good and then being able to ask the second and third question rather than just the first and say hey i know you say you're going good but you've just seemed flat lately and i'd be a shit mate if i didn't ask you again like i just like like how are you going like tell me how's work going how's your relationship going like do you feel like you've been flat you know and it might be a yes it might be a no it might be a piss off you know but at least you're just like well like like i'm here mate like, and, and I want to know. I'd want to know if you were struggling. I want you to know that. And, and I'm going to ask you again next time we catch up, you know, and just tell me to piss off if you want to. But I think almost more than learning how to ask the questions is learning how to handle somebody pushing you back to test whether you're for real or pushing you back because they've never actually been asked that question. Yeah. And so it's awkward for them and they don't know how to be asked And so their initial reaction is, let's get this over with. Yeah, I'm good. Like, let's move on. And showing them, like, hey, I'm up for just sitting in a bit of weirdness. And it's not going to kill the buzz because we'll get back to the beers in a moment. We'll talk about the footy or whatever we're interested in. So I, I feel like those, like, go first, ask the second and third question. But bigger than those is ask yourself does being a good mate have a higher value to it? Than feeling comfortable all the time, and never never feeling awkward with my mates, like I feel like we've all got to go right uh, like, to be a good mate. Awkwardness is a part of it, and and to and to be honest, to be a good partner, awkward awkwardness is a part of it. You know, like if you if you can't, one of the things that pisses me off a little bit is the advice that can often be given to guys or parents wanting to talk to boys is, and we've talked about this before in another um, podcast, uh, but uh, the advice to walk beside them, yep. you know, like walk beside, take them for a walk.
0: <laughs> get in the car.
1: So you get in the car and, uh, and, and, and then have a chat to them because then it's non-confrontational. You're both looking forward, you're both doing something and that creates safety. And that's definitely sometimes a first step. But if we have to not look at each other through our whole lives in order to have a hard conversation, we are fucked. Like, we are. Like, you're going to have to, to have a good marriage, to have a good friendship, to be a good father, uncle, brother, to be a good colleague, you know what I mean? Like... You're going to have to look at another human being and hold uncomfortable emotion between the two of you without needing to get up and bolt, shut down, look at the ground and not say anything. Or, you know, like, okay, well, we need to go for a walk because someone's going to be rough. You know, now I'm not saying that that's not an interim strategy if you're struggling with the face to face, but it needs to be an interim strategy. Okay, this is just a stepping stone because I got to get to the point where I can sit face-to-face with a human being and yeah. have hard conversations.
0: And then it, it's also, like, I think the the tricky part about that is to where we spend our attention is often where we develop our skills, right? And, yeah. and I think, you know, when we've got, you know, in this context, we're talking about men, but, like, you know, men in the workplace. Like, sure. the workplace is often a very kind of comp- competitive, conquest-driven environment that's yeah. about... Yeah, OKRs, your KPIs, yeah. you know your, your big vision, and you know what are you doing to optimize your performance for maximal efficiency yeah, to get yeah, the outcome yeah. right. We love and our then, efficiency. Yeah, <laughs> we love <laughs> our efficiency, and and then you know we're now starting to see a shift yeah. in what is required to be a leader to not only navigate an un- uncertain world, but. You know different generations coming into the workforce too sure um you know there's discussions around feminine more the, the archetype of the feminine traits yep. and that doesn't necessarily have to mean women but the feminine traits yeah um are required to be an effective leader in a complex environment Yep. um i know you do a lot of work obviously there's tomorrow man tomorrow woman tomorrow architects yeah um could you just give us a bit of an insight into Tomorrow Architects and and what you do there?
1: Yeah, so I mean I guess like in Tomorrow Architects we're working in leadership environments, usually in elite leadership environments so where there's a lot of pressure um, and there's high stakes involved and there's a performance. Ideally people want to be performing well, whether it's a AFL footy team or a C-suite leadership team they, they want to perform like that's a part of the remit but how how do they perform in the past like or, or when you're in a static environment and you've got the expertise and the knowledge then you can solve the problem some there's always a solution somewhere for the problem in those environments and so generally you're relying on those leaders that have been there before they've got the answers they just solve our problem they let us know what to do and we get about doing it but most people would agree we're now in a lot of environments where we don't have the answers to the problems we're facing how do i deal with covid how do i deal with hybrid work how do i deal with all the disruption that we're facing whether technologically or otherwise and so we're now moving i think into ways of working together that are more collaborative by nature because we know that because the boss doesn't have the answer our best chance of finding it is the collective intelligence of our organization all of the brains working collaboratively together are better than one brain who knows everything um and but that's completely different like that's just such a different way of working the i've got it together and i'll get about doing my work and handling my business and i've got the answers is traditionally very stereotypically male um i want to solve everything i want to solve it technically and i don't want to have to ask people for answers cuz i should have them myself and i've got to be the tower of strength so that nobody thinks i'm weak and vulnerable and gets worried and all of those kind of things and i think now we're moving to a model that is collaborative that is willing to say i don't have the answer hey guys i don't have the answer Um, And I actually need your input. I really need it. And I think that out of us collaborating together and sharing honestly, we're going to find breakthroughs and answers. That's just a whole different skill set. And the reality is that they're not all going to be opinions that are the same. So being willing to let people collaborate and have tension, again, if I have to, you know, (laughs) go for a walk with you and walk side by side to have tension, well, how am I going to have a team of twelve in a room with a lot of tension going on. I've got a perspective, you've got a perspective, they're different. I disagree with you and we need to actually externalize that. So I think the 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 future work place, place that's more resilient and 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 more adaptive to the changing environment around it, it actually does have a lot of those behaviours that would be seen as typically feminine. Less ego in the leadership, more I just I want the system to go well and to be well as an organization i don't have to be counted as the alpha dog leader of this but i I want us all to be contributing i want everybody to be you know yeah having a meaningful input and and that collaboration that willingness to sit in conversation the willingness to ask inquiring questions and to stay for the answer to be more curious than be the knower. Um, I think that they pose really interesting opportunities and challenges, mm. you know, for guys. And like a lot of the guys that we're talking to when it comes to the leadership interventions that we're doing, we we'll often ask people, what do you want to work on? What are the things that you're fearing? What are the big blockers for you? And one of the common themes at the moment amongst white middle-aged male leaders is they're saying, I- I'm fearing that I'm going to become a dinosaur pretty quickly in the workplace, that I'm worrying that my point of view is antiquated now, and I actually don't know how to best serve as a leader within these environments, and 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 that's a that's a, like that's a hard one. Like I've worked my whole life to be fit for this environment to be able to contribute, and now you've changed the whole game on me, and I don't really know what to do. And so I feel like it's exciting. It's really exciting because in the past it might have seemed like the kind of work that you would do as a teenager or any male in the spaces that we're operating would be seen as mm-hmm. like a off-the-side nice-to-have, Yeah, you know, a bit of soft skills, yeah, nice-to-have. It kind of oils the wheels of the yeah. real work, you That's know, right. but it's not yeah. the real work. Yeah, And if you do too much of it, it's going to mess with the real work. And now I think people are starting to see, hey – that is the real work you yeah. know and and in lots of performance environments like you know two premiership winning teams the last two premiership winning teams both said in their post grand final interviews what was the winning ingredient love wow. you know like that's mind blowing yeah you know is that what guys were saying 2 decades ago yeah. when they were winning the grand final Yeah, our secret ingredients, we love each other. Yeah. I just don't think they would have been saying that. It might have been feeling it maybe in some level, but not saying, hey, that's our performance edge. Yeah. Because we've been training our whole lives for football. That's kind of a given. We wouldn't have been drafted if we didn't have some high level of skill. Yeah. What's tipped us over the edge to really collaborate and drop our ego and be able to play the team game. Yeah. It's love. Like we're so deeply invested in each other that we're not friendly firing on each other.
0: Yeah. And, and we understand the other and we've developed a level or a culture of psychological safety where the authenticity really? is the, like an important value in that culture. Yeah. Because if you're authentic and I'm authentic, then I just know it. there's something innate that I can trust you. For sure, yeah. And, and then so when we're in the, you know, whatever high-performing environment where you need to perform and your decision-making needs to be so acute, yep. so timely... I need to know that I can rely on you in that moment. Entirely. And you think about, you know, in an athlete's context, like they effectively need to make decisions fast, faster each yeah, and every yeah, year yeah. of the development of whatever respective game. Yeah. And the data's there, you know, mm, for the last yeah. three years, you know, and whether you call it love, authenticity, psychological safety, yeah. you know, it, it's kind of the same, you know, magicness that's there.
1: For sure. And I think like we're ultimately Pretty Tribal beings yeah. You know Like our hardware is still A couple million years old Yeah, yeah. exactly and yeah. So If you don't feel Entirely safe in an environment You will uh, Distribute some reserves of energy Towards keeping on a lookout Yeah And if you're keeping on lookout And you're narrowing your vision Because you feel under threat Well, all of your potential is locked up. Yeah. Whereas if you feel safe, you've got access to the whole thing. You've got peripheral vision. Like, I mean, what sport don't you need peripheral vision in? So I think now there's so much more energy put towards how do we make these people feel safe enough that they play... To the top of their potential, and the aggregate of 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 the players creates something far greater than. Well, I shouldn't even say the aggregate. The outcome of the collaboration of the team actually creates something far greater than one plus one plus one. Absolutely. Um. And and I, and that's. I think that's really exciting because I feel like when. You know, particularly in this country, there's such a, you know, lauding of sports and all of that kind of stuff, you know, where we are in a capitalist society. So organisations and peak performance and all of that kind of does have credibility. And if people start saying, hey, peak performance, in order to get that edge – you need to feel completely psychologically safe you need to have access to all of your potential so the love factor has got to be high but you also want to have these performance outcomes happening it's yeah it's pretty incredible territory that we're starting to explore as human beings
0: and i think as well a really important distinction there is psychological safety doesn't necessarily mean comfort no you know and i think that's really important that like often the the highest performers have stretched their bandwidth of what is comfort comfort yeah and you know, that finding that, that edge inside of, you know, whether it is going over to, you know, the acting yeah, trip yeah. over in LA or, you know, I did my equivalent of... You know, I I have a commitment to myself every year of signing up to a life experience that's completely off-brand for yeah, me. Nice. And a couple of years ago, I did a stand-up comedy course at NIDA oh, and nice. I had like the same equivalent year, like everyone's sitting around, why are you here? And sure. I was like, everything in my identity says don't be <laughs> here. And like, I was just, you know, we laugh about the clowning yeah. exercises. I'm still partly traumatized sure. by the clowning activities, <laughs> but you know… Part of that now, I I find something inside of me. I find an edge. I I step through the edge and then it's the unknown, I think, is the evolution of of our our development, our consciousness and ultimately our performance because then we're not, you know, we find ourselves in that environment in the real world. Oh, for sure. And verticommas and then we can, we know, we've got
1: that experience.
0: Yeah. I think those,
1: and it comes back to that rites of passage thing, those mini deaths are so important. Yeah. Because I think, again, like we're on this like archaic kind of hardware that ultimately still is running from Sober to Tigers and all of this kind of stuff. And yeah. so I, I do think it's important to reevaluate our fears yeah. by testing them and and to go, like, is that really going to be the end of me? I get up at a stand-up comedy night and I bomb. Do I really die? Like, does the world really end? And, yeah. and as much as it might be excruciating, it's like, oh, okay, the world's still standing. So... Anything about that scary, I mm. now know, won't end me. Therefore, yeah. I can play all out a little bit more.
0: It's like in, you know, one of those, they say one of the best kept secrets in the world is the and particularly through the lens of the Buddhist tradition is actually having the the the, the death before you die. Sure, yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, because yeah, you yeah. suddenly realize, and you know, there's these stories of the Tibetan monks who start medi- their meditation practice very early on. Sure, and at yeah. the age of 12 years old, they have their first kind of ego death, and, yeah. and then from then on, there's no fear living on the other side because sure. you've mm-hmm. part of you is psychologically you know dissolved or adapted or whatever it is, but you're now living in a place of abundance. Yeah, like, and what they say is the irony of the western like ideology is that we're so concerned with the longevity of life by trying to look young Mm. and keep our youth versus but you guys don't believe in reincarnation yeah and it's like the irony of that which is just so so funny to to think about um (laughs) and yeah you know i think i think coming back to i just want to know what what is your practice to self-reflect to grow because you know i think Mm. Time, You know, you've obviously spent considerable time in the ring with such a diverse range of human beings from, you know, young people all the way to like, you know, some of the biggest execs in the world. Mm. Um, What's your practice for slowing down, reflecting, pulling apart? Yeah. Um,
1: Well, it's like – so I've struggled. Like I've had this kind of battle with meditation like on off. Um, It shouldn't be a battle, (laughs) but – I know it's so valuable to do, but I think a lot of people probably relate to this. I just really struggle to keep a consistent rhythm with it. For me, since starting the businesses, having a family, um, I've never had less time in my entire life. And the strategy over those five years has become that I book two days away on my own uh, in some random airbnb usually only half an hour away from the house or something like that but it's just a space for myself and i i take a bunch of sticky notes and i take a bunch of paper and some good tunes and a couple of days worth of food and i reflect on the year it's generally around december and I'll just, as things pop up in my head, I'll just write them down on a piece of paper. And usually things about, well, what do you want to do differently next year? What are you happy with this year? And so I'll often get pretty pumped, you know. Like I'll have all these, like, oh, shit, if this year could be different, I'll do this. And I think about the pain points in the year. I'm like, yeah, all right, I'm going to stop that by doing this next year or whatever. And, and then... Uh, the last half day that I'm there I generally write a lot of kind of notes and I write I, I kind of look and I go what are the themes and, and 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 what can I do and then I have a folder it's this red folder it's got all of those notes in it photos of all the sticket notes and then I y- if I get a few hours to myself um, I generally drive down to a local beach um, in my car and I just chuck on some tunes And I'll read through all of those notes and just try and, and sometimes I'll add to them, you know, I'll write a note, like something will pop out and I'll be like, I want to add to that. And so it's been growing, you know, um, this red folder, but it's, it's kind of, I just feel like when you're moving really fast and you're really busy, sometimes you're with your worst thinking it's kind of your most rushed thinking. Yeah. It's not your wisest. It's usually pretty reactive. That's how I feel about my own thinking when I'm in a rush, in a in a rush, and I'm under pressure. And so when you slow down, and that's a privilege to slow down, but when you slow down, you kind of get to thinking that's underneath and it's usually like incredible. It's like that's my wiser self. Like that's the guy yeah. that knows what's really going yeah. on. And so how do I more regularly get access to that guy and make sure that he is driving my actions. And so once it's set up in the year, then I'm trying to find opportunities to reaccess that thinking. Um I do floats. Um, uh, well I did pre COVID. I haven't for a couple of years, but I find again with meditation, I could sometimes do meditation, I come out of it like more anxious. Because I go in, I can't calm myself down. I'm like, I'm yeah. so wound up. And, and then like, you judge yourself for not doing it properly. Yeah, like, <laughs> my fingers are itchy. Like, I can't... St- yeah, ah, Like, and then I come out, I'm like, that was shit. Like, where's the epiphany? Where's the where's the peacefulness? Yeah. Um, and so I found with the salts, like the yeah. whatever it is, 400 kilos of epsom salts or whatever it is, it would just be like, it would just stop my body so that my mind could stop. Mm-hmm. And I'd kind of say to mates, I'd come out of it on a Friday afternoon with a Sunday afternoon feeling. Because sometimes I'd come in with the family or whatever it might be on a Friday or Saturday and I'd be so wound up that I'd be sitting in front of Paige and not hearing what she's saying to me and definitely not feeling it. And then on Sunday you kind of calm down enough to go, oh, like I'm actually here with you now. I'm Mm -hmm. feeling you, I'm seeing you. So it's a long answer to your question, but I try and find the slow thinker. Yeah, and I've just been trying to find strategies to get access to that. What's yeah? What's my wisest, gutsiest thinking, rather than my scared, fast,
0: busy, dumb thinking brain that's trying to judge and assess their way out of a situation? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think the 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 whether you call it like the altered states of consciousness movement is really that's where the high performance comes from yeah whether it's a float tank meditation whether it is your own personal retreat yeah yeah your your staycation um what that does is it allows exactly what you said the system the nervous system to slow down so the gut can come up and actually be present
1: yeah for sure and like like we're talking about near-death experiences and all of that kind of stuff but like one of the things that (laughs) It actually came up one of these two-day things. I kind of spent a bit of time away, and I, I wrote down. It just kind of popped up. What do I want out of the, this decade and the next decade of my life? And then I realized, like like most people probably, I'm kind of building stability and security in my life at the moment, saving money up, getting a house, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then I was I, then I was looking at it, and I'm like, well, I'm in my 30s. What do I want from my 40s? What do I want from my 50s? And I was like. 30s 40s 50s they're the most vital years of my life like that's when i've got the most energy that i've got the most yeah i'm just my body's not entering at sunset you know what i mean and then 60s 70s 80s like if i don't think about this i'm gonna end up with all this cash and nothing to do you know what i mean like going i'm 70 and 80 yeah and I I don't have any I don't have enough to spend all this money on because I I don't I don't have the and, I, and like that felt like a big breakthrough for me I was like shit maybe we need to spend some cash yeah you know in these years when I when I'm young for my kids yeah awesome. you know like yeah. I want to try and be a young dad yeah I want to kick the footy with the boys I want to have adventures with them yeah I want them to know me and for me to know them in that way but if I don't check that. I'll be absent for those two years, setting up a life for them, and then go, well, now I don't really have the chutzpah to come with you on that one, you know, to run the marathons or whatever it might be and to have those adventures. So I just, like, again, like, where do you get
0: the chance to have that thinking? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, Unless you stop. Stop, slow down. And, again, the wisdom of the gut comes up and offers you that. How, How do I live life with that's experience-driven with the most important things, which is my family. Sure. And yet, to your point, there's no, there is no point being, you know, the richest guy in the cemetery, right? No. You know, yeah, he's exactly. Just sitting there, going, like, oh, I hope it was worth it." You yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, can you cash those in for the next part? Yeah, that? for sure. So um well mate just final question just to wrap up obviously we you know we've both kind of grown up working with young people and with a particular lens on young men although it's not just about the men it's about their relationships that they'll have yeah um any advice that you would give to your younger self with a you know the benefit of a bit of hindsight and a bit of time um, in the ring few mistakes along the way
1: Mm. yeah it's a good question what's yours
0: (laughs) (laughs) mine i think is no one really cares. Oh, yeah. Like nice. I was just real good at f- trying to fit in and I did that so often at the cost of my own values. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just did a lot of shit just to try and impress my mates and try and feel safe. And yeah. I did that often a lot of things that just were not nice things. Yeah, right. And there was a beautiful boy in there. Sure. But I hit him for a long time. Yeah. Um, so I think no one really cares and like just be yourself is probably the biggest thing that's, you know, i often, it's so overused it's almost lost it's like pizzazz sure, like, be sure. yourself yeah, but yeah, like yeah. if i could give myself like a felt experience that it's okay to be yourself sure yeah um and just to keep investing in experiences i think is really important like, yeah get nice. out of your bubble yeah i like that one
1: i'll take that <laughs> uh I think mine is pretty similar to what... For some, for some reason, this morbid thought of being here once has, has always given me a lot of courage. Um, so for me, it would be... Um, it, it would be you're only here once, you know? And so don't miss out. Like, don't miss out on any of it. And I think too many of us miss out because we're too scared, again, as you were saying, to look like a dickhead or to be judged... And I feel like it's just the biggest robbery, you know. We are only here once, you know. What? Listen, I believe that, you know. And other people have their beliefs about reincarnation and whatever it might be, but I, I personally believe for myself. I the lottery for me is rocking up in this life and being the little sperm that made it, <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to have it. Mm. I want to. I want to live it. You know what I mean? Like I. Uh, yeah, I want, I want to rock the dance floor, I want to, you know, kiss the girl, which I did, my <laughs> wife, that is, <laughs> I don't need to kiss anymore, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, like, I just want to have life, all of it, not just the bits that are deemed stereotypically for me, and this is not for me, so my advice to my five-year-old would be, just don't forget, you're only here once, so just don't miss out, mm. go after what you want, and and similarly, in some ways, just like, don't not do it because they don't think you should, you know. I used to wear my brother's clothes and he was four years older. And so I'd, I'd wear these T-shirts that were down on my ankles. <laughs> yeah,
0: which was in at that time. Yeah, really, was really. And Eminem was kind of on the... <laughs> exactly, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. But I, my best mate in primary school, his dad was an artist. And I didn't know this until later, but um, but mum and dad would say, oh... You know, Mark's dad really, really thought you were, you were the deal, you know. He was like, that kid's got style, you know. Now, if any of my mates heard that, they'd be like, well, where did it go? Because <laughs> you wear the same shit every day, never wear anything else. And, and I kind of like that five-year-old kid who was willing just to wear what nobody else was wearing because I liked it. I, I still remember opening my brother's cupboard and taking those T-shirts off and being like, this is epic. Like, these are epic. So I didn't have a reference point for what was cool at the time. And so sometimes having a reference point's shit, you mm. know. Like, just I. part of me wishes I was able to still keep being that kid. Yeah. Just wear whatever I wanted to wear because it looks awesome for me. It feels awesome. Like, I like it. Yeah. Does everybody else need to approve? Mm. So, yeah. Don't miss out. Don't miss out. <laughs> it's only once. I love that.
0: Mm. i cherish our time together mate so yeah thank this you. has been nice yeah Thanks i feel like me. we could go down many different rabbit holes and yeah. follow different threads but yeah just really value time and yeah as i shared at the beginning i just think you're a phenomenal role model for me mm. so many others and i'm just really grateful so well likewise you,
1: mate. mate like i'm just so inspired by what you continue to do and how big you live and you know like just witnessing somebody go yeah i'm gonna Uh, start an organisation that runs these workshops and have that first conversation with you, you know, that university project that you're piloting with those boys to then see the organisation and then to go, yeah, and I'm just going to start a men's care business on top of that and why not go global, you know? Like I think that sometimes people often see those things from the outside Mm. and they think they're untouchable because they're like, oh, that guy must have always been going to build that big successful business and those things. Um, So it's inspiring to have seen the story evolve mm. and just, you know, wherever you take it, it's, it's, it's awesome to be a part of. And yeah, thanks for bringing me along on it again today. Thanks, man.
0: Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast or got some value out of it, we'd love your help to grow this thing. You can subscribe to the channel, share it with your mates or show us some love on socials. We want to impact as many lives as possible and we'd love your help in getting this out there. Thanks again.